0: Father, we ask that you would uh, give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what your word might say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, it's lovely to see you. And uh, if you are new or visiting, can I just add my welcome? It's great to have you with us. I'm Mark, uh, the senior pastor here. I'd love to um, just begin today by saying thank you to many of you who were Praying over the last few weeks while I've been out in Uganda. Um, Had a really terrific trip out there, um, seeing what the churches uh, have been doing. And um, I've just got five photos to show you so you can see that um, uh, I actually was doing some work. Um, uh, The truth is, I was out. I have, um, apart from my wife and children, I have three absolute passions in my life one is local church. I believe in local church. I think the local church is a vehicle through which uh, communities are changed and is ultimately the vehicle through which um, a, a nation can be changed. Uh, I believe uh, my, another passion I have is um, uh, New Wine, which is inspiring the local church. Oh, I don't want the pictures to roll on. I just wanted to stay at the beginning. That's it. Uh, another one is, the, is New Wine, which is a network of local churches around the world, which are holding uh, the same sort of vision and values. And my uh, third passion is Tear Fund, any justice ministry actually, uh, that's seeing some of the poorest in the world lifted out of a place of poverty. So I was out in Uganda uh, working with the local churches in the name of New Wine and Tear Fund with some of my best friends. So really it was a big jolly I was having an absolute ball, because I was with great friends, and we laughed and laughed and laughed, and um, uh, the leaders of New Wine were actually quite cruel to one another in a nice sort of way, and um, I think some of the Tearfund staff were slightly anxious about our um, uh, jollies with one another, and in fact, at some point a couple of points, the CEO of Tear Fund stepped in and said, I think that's enough now, at which, at which point we turned the heat right up and decided we'd be really cruel to one another. So it was, it was great fun. But this is what I was doing. Um, we were working with the Pentecostal Assemblies of God, and um, uh, the Archbishop of that, uh, the, those churches uh, was with us for the week. And uh, we were uh, visiting projects uh, that uh, they were doing through the local church. This is the important thing. It's all through the local church. Um, and they're putting into, a, the, into process a thing called PEP, which is the participatory evaluation process. Uh, you can, it's, it's basically uh, through the local church. The local church says to the community, the village, let's all get together, participate together, and evaluate our needs what are the needs of the local community what what are the things that we have to uh, that, w- that we have around us that we need help with uh, that we might change and then to put something in place to meet those needs all done in the context of the Bible stories so they tell the story you go into a community And they tell the story. They say, here's what the Bible tells. Here's some stories from the Bible. So Jesus had 5,000 people to feed and he said to the disciples, you know, you give them some food. And um, uh, they say, well, we we can't possibly give them some food. We haven't got enough. You know, it'd take a a year's wages to give these people food. And he says, well, what have you got? He says, well, we've got a little packed lunch. He says, well, why don't you start with what you've got? Take what you've got and use that and find the answer and the communities there um, are learning the process of taking what they've got and putting what they've got into into process to find the answer for themselves so not a single community asked us for money or resources no one came and said please can i have something they all just wanted to tell the story of what God was doing with them and through them. And it's probably the first time in all my years of being involved in and passionate about uh, aid and development that I have possibly seen uh, sustainable development happening in a developing country. Uh, And that's because what they're doing is they're finding the resources within themselves. So here's a fact. Actually, this fact really needs checking out. The figures are right, but I can't remember the exact area. I think it's Western Kenya. If you go down Western Kenya and you take 100 hand pumps, 100 uh, wells, uh, water pumps like this that they have in the community, and you go down and you take them, 85 out of those 100 are now not working. They've been put in by really good-meaning people, By really by aid agencies, by by all sorts of people. We put them in for them. We've gone, here's a here's a water pump. It's great, we've we've helped you as a community, we'll go off and help someone else out with a water pump. The trouble is that 18 months later the water pump stops working. Because the community have had no part of the process of putting that water pump in, they've got no chance of getting spares, they've got no understanding of how it works, and so it sits there not working. And they go and they drink dirty water again from their hand-dug well that was giving them all the problems in the first place. So here what we've got is, and this is one that we visited, um, uh, the the, the village comes together, Tear Fund, working with the Pentecostal Assemblies of God through the local church, uh, get the people together and they say, what are our needs? They say, well, our greatest need is we need clean water. Let's get an aid agency to give us a clean water well. We say, no, no. Let's look at our, let's resolve our problem ourselves. What have we got? What's our packed lunch? And they say, well, we've got our our bodily strength. We can use that. Uh, We can dig the hole for the wells. Okay, well, we can help you with some of the kit to build it, but you've got to build it. You've got to put it in place. You've got to make it happen. And the community all dig the hole. They all fit the well. They all know how the hand pump works. When it doesn't work, they can fix it. They've got the means and the ability to put it all back together again. And uh, here's one that we went to. And um, lovely, lovely old man who looks after this. It's his job, I think, to be there all day and help people get water. I'm not quite sure, but he loved being there. And I, I, I was talking to him, and I said, you know, what does this mean to you? And they talked about the difference that it meant in the community. And said, you know, we were all getting sick all the time because their hand dug well had pigs and cows and all sorts in it and they were going and getting water from that and drinking it before so it was really horrible here they've got absolute fresh clean water coming out I said Tim what what difference is made he told lots, lots of things about difference and I said and for you what's it like and he, he looked at me and he said pastor he said we've got clean water here for the first time since creation I thought that was just a great quote <laughs> for the first time since creation. Um, and so they, they built this, and they know exactly how it works. And um, it is the most uh, amazing thing. Uh, what's the next photograph I've got up there? Uh, this, this is fantastic. This is a school. Um, this, uh, 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 this guy here, um, he uh, got educated um, uh, through uh, his parents were able to pay for him to go to school uh, he's from this village um, but he was one of the very few who were able to get educated he went off and got a diploma in education and got a job in the city and was doing quite well uh, but everybody goes home at Christmas it's the same in every country isn't it, it's lovely they all retreat, go, back, go home at Christmas um, uh, our driver Sam, who was driving our 4x4 four four, uh, we, we drove... Going on one of our trips, and um, it was absolutely marvellous. And, and as we were going on one of our trips, uh, he said, "Oh, if I just take this little route, I can show you where my my village is." We we're okay. I, was, I thought you lived in the city. He says, "But my village is. This is where I go to." I and we drove round this route. And we, I, I was in stitches, because he said, we got at a certain point, and he stopped and he said, see that tree over there? That's where I grew up. He said, that's my home. <laughs> so I, that's where it's marked. It's marked by these landmarks, these villages. Because you know, everybody's got their tree they sit under. So then it gives them shade in the day. It's fantastic. Um, uh, and this guy got educated, and then he decided, no, I've got to go back to my village, and I've got to participate with the village, get everybody together, and look at the needs. And one of the greatest needs is the other children aren't getting education. So this school is two weeks old when we were there. And he had 30 children. Um, and he was so pleased with it. And he had, uh, uh, I took loads of photographs um, uh, of this sort of thing. And we, we went down there. It, it, amazing. I think the next one is also of the school, is it? I think I put two up there. Yeah, this is, this inside, this is the inside of the classroom. And um, I took loads of photographs going around. And, and while we were doing some work with the children, I went around and photographed some other things. And, and uh, I took this photograph, this little shack. And I thought, oh, that must be the toilet, this little thing in the corner. And uh, when the head was talking to us, and he said, see that building over there? And I thought, oh, yeah, I've just taken that. He said, that's the office. And it, I just came out loud. I said, oh, I thought that was a toilet. I've just taken a photograph of that. And he was a bit offended by that. But it, it was a... But this, this, is, this is the sort of thing that's happening. The whole community, when he said he'd run the school, the whole community came and built the school. They said, we'll build the classrooms if you'll teach the children. And many of them can't afford the education, so they're coming for free at the moment. But he's hoping in the long run that they might be able to afford it so that he can get paid to do what he's doing full-time. And he works full-time uh, doing it. What's the next photograph we've got up there? Oh, there's another school uh, that's going on uh, they sit under that tree that's what they do there's uh, four or five classrooms like this in that area um, uh, each day they gather there and uh, when it's raining they all crowd into one little room and, and uh, shelter from the rain because it only rains for about an hour each day um, terrific and the next photograph oh this is amazing so this is a uh, uh, swamp land so if you go off to the right of this picture Uh, down on the right hand side it's just level swamp it's all marshland and uh, the community here had um, uh, they gathered together they participated together through the local church and um, uh, they said what's our main problem they said well our our evaluating our main issues is that so many people get sick with malaria this is their ancestral home they're not going to move from it but they're living on top of a marsh and therefore it's littered with mosquitoes and everybody's getting bitten the whole time. Um, So they said, uh, well, this is our main problem, is we're getting sick and because we're sick, we're not able to work to earn a living at all so we're, you know, not well off and so their every day was just survival and um, one of them said, well, I've heard that you can actually turn turn the swamps into ponds and so... Uh, they went and they've dug these ponds. There are two of them at the moment, and they're planning another three uh, to create. Because the water level's so high, uh, they just dug a hand, dug well a bit further up, made the water run down from there into the pond they created uh, in the swamp, and then it runs down to another pond. They've got two ponds at the moment, and they put fish in it. The fish eat the mosquito larvae, so you get less mosquitoes, you get food to eat, and enough fish to sell, so you also get an income that comes from it. It's quite extraordinary. So the water that caused death is now bringing life in a community. It's the most amazing uh, process that they've got going on. And um, uh, uh, They catch a certain number of fish each day. They just make sure they don't catch too many, so they're keeping it uh, topped up and enabling people in the village to eat and a work. Is that, was that the last photo? I can't think. Oh, no, this is my last one. This is a lovely lady I met, and um, she's HIV positive. Her husband died of AIDS, and she has seven children. And uh, she was excluded from the uh, local community uh, through lack of education, really. People were frightened of being with those who are HIV positive. And so she was left to fend for herself with seven children. Now, if you're sick and you can't afford the drugs because you can't afford to work and you've got seven children around you, you just really are in survival mode every day. Her community gathered together and uh, she was one of those that they gathered. And they said, what's our biggest need? And they said, well, one of our real needs is to look after people who are HIV positive. And so... She now um, has, uh, they gave her uh, the possibility of working. Um, When they got everybody together, they talked about this, and they said, what we need to do is we need somebody to look after, set up a farm, that's what they decided to do on their land, and to give everybody who's HIV positive a home to live in, And therefore, on the farm, they can look after some of the animals, look after some of the crops, earn themselves a living so that they can feed themselves and educate their children and be looked after and be in a community that would be able to respond when they're sick. And this community, they said, we need somebody uh, to head up this community. And a guy in the group, he's part of the village, he put his hand up and he said, I'll do that. And he was Patrick, his name is... And he was an alcoholic. And uh, the whole village said, well, if you're offering, then yes, please. They trusted this guy to do it. Well, we spent half a day with Patrick. He hasn't touched a drop of drink since. He runs his community in the most amazing way. He loves those people like they are his own. And I talked to this lovely lady. I said, what's it done for you? And she said, Mark, she said, it's given me hope when I had none. I now see my children in education and there's food on the table every day. Not through aid from this country, but through what they're doing themselves by the incredible gift that Tear Fund are doing, which is providing the facilitators to enable people to think this way, like the woman with the oil in the Old Testament. Elisha says to her, what have you got? She says, I've got nothing. Well, I've got a little bit of oil. Well, take your oil and get as many pots as you can and fill the pots. And this is what they're seeing happen. They're seeing, they're seeing goodness come from the lack that they have and communities being really radically changed. And it is the most amazing process. Uh, coming back, what are we going to do with that? Uh, hopefully, we're going to take it to new wine in the summer, to the conference. Uh, the, every church seems to have seven satellite churches. I'm not quite sure why, but that seems to be the way in which they work. Um, we're try, I'm, I'm going to be trying to launch this in the summer to try and get uh, 100 churches to sponsor a church in Uganda or Kenya where this is going on. And um, uh, in doing so... That'll mean there are seven or eight hundred churches that are involved in this process, and what they've seen naturally happen now is when one church is doing it, the church, the village next door looks at what they're doing and says, "We'd like to. Can we learn from you?" And so it it, it multiplies itself out really quickly, and so it's not reliant on a gift from the west, but it's reliant on uh, the facilitator enabling the community to discover themselves that they've got the resources within them to bring. Uh, Uh, Help uh, for themselves. So that's what I was doing while I was out in Uganda. Thank you for allowing me to go out and do that and be part of that process. Um, It was really uh, great, and I hope that from it we can see some good things happen. Is that okay? So it was it was a jolly because it was with friends, but it was an important jolly uh, to go on and um, uh, really exciting to be uh, part of. Okay, I want to come back to today's reading um, just uh, for a few minutes. This is, I know this is um, uh, uh, the triumphal entry. And of course, uh, that means this really should be read on Palm Sunday. But we're a little ahead of things here. Uh, and um, we're going through Mark's Gospel, and to enable Easter to be read at the right time in Mark's Gospel, which is where I started from in my sermon series, I worked backwards, Palm Sunday didn't quite fit in, so we're doing it a bit early, but that's okay, isn't it? So we're, we're at this point in Jesus' life. You're a member that uh, already he has set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's determined, he's started this last chapter of his life and he's determined to get to Jerusalem and be the person who uh, uh, fulfills what his heavenly father has sent him to do. And um, the stage is set in a sense and the curtain is drawn back and he focuses on going to Uh, This place of Jerusalem and this people whom he loves. And he comes to this busy city with narrow streets, crowded with people. And um, uh, uh, as he does so, people spread garments on the ground. They tear branches off and put them down and they welcome him in. uh, Crying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the King of Kings. Uh, Praise God in the highest heaven they say, but who is this man that they welcome in? Well, he announces who he is in a significant way. If we welcomed the queen into our community, there would be police barricades and and there'd be pageantry and there'd be you know gold. Uh, uh, carts that come I don't mean carts I mean coaches gold coaches or Rolls Royces or whatever it'd all be glorious wouldn't it and I love that sort of thing I'm not against that I think it's marvellous I'll go see that any day Jesus is very different he comes on a donkey he comes he comes on a mode of transport that fulfills two of the prophecies in the Old Testament in Zechariah 9 and in Isaiah 62, it prophesies that the king will come on a donkey, the colt of a donkey will come in this humble way. And Jesus declares who he is, the Messiah, the one that has been prophesied, the one that they hope for, the one that at Passover time, there is high expectation of that they're desperate that 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 the Messiah would come. This was always for the Jewish community. This is the the electric time of the year. This is the moment that they think things can be fulfilled, and it's particularly high at this point in Jesus' ministry because uh, of the raising of. Um, uh, 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 Zacchaeus from the dead, no it's not Zacchaeus, who who did he raise from the dead? Zachary, Lazarus, Lazarus, that's it. Okay, I knew that really. I just lost it for a moment. I lost Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead, thank you for your help. He raised Lazarus from the dead and, and in raising Lazarus from the dead, he caused absolute excitement amongst the people. Because they're thinking, this could be our Messiah. This could be the one. And it's Passover time. And this is when he's going to come. This is when it's all prophesied about. And Jesus comes on a donkey. On a donkey declaring, fulfilling the prophecies in the Old Testament. Fulfilling the words that they'd have known well. Saying, I am the one. I am the Messiah. I am the one that you have longed for. I am the one that you have hoped for. So he declares who he is through his mode of transport. But he doesn't come with pageantry. He comes with humility and compassion and grace. He comes He comes and in a sense disappoints the people. He disappoints the people because they're hoping that he would come and, and, and rid them of this Roman reign that there is, rid them of this Roman rule that they have over them. But they, they're, 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 their initial welcome is wonderful. They're, they cry their hosannas because they think, yes, he's going to do this. There's another welcome that goes on and, and that's the, the, the religious leaders at the time. The raising of, of uh, Lazarus from the dead has also caused a reaction with them because they're thinking, gosh, could this man undo All of our leadership of the people? Could he undo the processes that we have in place? Could he undo the uh, authority that we hold? Could he undo um, uh, our uh, opportunity to uh, have our uh, rule over the people? And so he he causes these um, two responses uh, coming in. He says, I am the one, I am the king, I am the one you're expecting. He declares that by a mode of transport. He declares that in the way in which he comes in. And Jesus himself knows that the crowd is fickle. He knows that they will abandon him. He knows that they'll betray him. He knows that they'll cry for his death in the end. He knows that he'll be alone at that point. But at the time he comes, uh, enjoying their favour. But he's also aware of the, the religious leaders who come with this sense of now we're really going to undo you. And, and Jesus himself is aware of that. That's what he's come to Jerusalem for. He knows this is the climax of his ministry. He knows this is the point at which uh, he will ultimately be lifted high uh, on the cross. And he sends, I, I, I love this, it says Jesus sent two of them on a head. He says, go into the village and collect the donkey for me. Go, be sent, he says. And I think like they were sent, we're sent. I think we're sent people. Sent declaring your king is coming. Sent declaring the good news. Sent declaring uh, the, 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 the risen Christ is the answer to our needs, not some system or, or practice that we have in place, not some uh, religion that we follow, but the good news that only comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. we're a sent people we 're sent to declare his good news. Um, Archbishop Simon Peter, when I was I- in Uganda. He was talking about the process that that I've just explained to you about each village owning this process and finding the resources within themselves and finding the answer to their needs and putting it into place. It's an amazing process that they have. And uh, we were at this meeting with all the bishops and the principal of the Ugandan Theological College was there and, and he said, you know, this is, this is such a fantastic thing. We've got to teach this in all the colleges and equip everybody in all the colleges to, so that they're trained in this before they leave college and, and then they can take it to the villages. And it was a really interesting moment because Archbishop Simon Peter, who'd been such... He's just a great big bloke. And he'd been such a gentle... Funny, he was a hilarious man. All week, he suddenly got terribly uppity. He stood up and he said, "No, no, 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 no! You must not do that." He said, "Do not systematize any of this. As soon as you put in a system, you'll kill it. It's got to live within the people." And of course, what's happened with religion for so many decades, uh, over the centuries, is it's become systematized. It's become a formal thing and it's, it's not that. It's about a relationship with our Saviour Christ. It's about something that lives and breathes within us. It's about something that's expressed through us to other people. That they can read our lives and see the story of God. They can read your life. You know, your, your life as you live it out with your family and your friends and your community and your workplace, you're a walking, living daily reading bible people are watching how you're living they're seeing the story of god come out of your life that's how it works you may be the only bible they ever read as they see you as they listen to you speak as they see you respond to others the goodness of god coming out of you to other people we're a sent people, sent with this same message, sent to, to let people know of the goodness that, that's found as we follow in the way of Christ. And he comes, he comes not with judgment. If you read the newspapers uh, of, of the church, of what's going on in the church and different things in the church, I, I think it's terrible that we're portrayed as this judgmental people. Do you know what? Jesus never judged anybody. He didn't. You can't find it anywhere in Scripture. He didn't judge anybody. He he showed people how to live. He gave people life. He offered alternatives. He didn't judge anybody. He didn't say you're a bunch of dreadful sinners. He said, let me show you the way to life. He didn't say you've got it completely wrong. He said... Let me show you how I live. He showed people an alternative way, a different way. And it's no wonder, isn't it? It's no wonder that those who were on the edges of society, who were caught up in stuff that they shouldn't have been caught up in, said, I really want that that you've got. I want to live the way you live. I want to find what it is that you have, that I can have it in my life. I want to be like you. They said that to Jesus in the church today. We're to come also in the same way with compassion and humility and gentleness. But uh, being aware as Jesus himself was aware. Jesus says as the Father sends me so I send you. Jesus himself was aware that he was a sent person that we're sent people, sent with the good news, sent to live our lives every day that people might discover who it is of Christ that we follow in the way in which we speak, live, move and have our being. John 1 tells us that Jesus came uh, in grace and truth. In other words, he didn't avoid the truth but he found ways of grace, graceful ways of declaring the truth that people might receive it for themselves, take it on board and then live it out. And I think that, you know, I think that as, uh, in, in, as I've been in Uganda, well, there's a, there's, it was exampled every day, every hour of every day in different stories of people's lives discovering the goodness of a life lived in the light of Christ. It was evident in, in, in every village, every communication, every conversation we had. It was an amazing thing. And I found myself thinking, if we could just recapture this also in the UK, that a life that is daily thankful to God for his goodness and grace to us, a life that is lived humbly, gently, before our Father, not casting judgment on anybody else, but saying, this is how I'm going to live, because this is how God wants us to live. And other people seeing the attractive life that is found by those who find a life in Christ, will draw people to a relationship with God himself. Jesus going into Jerusalem caused one of two reactions. For the the religious leaders, it was a reaction of, "You, you caused me a threat, you're a threat to my life, you're a threat to my way of living, you're a threat to what I stand for. For the people, it caused hope hope of a new beginning hope of a new life lived hope of the answer being here for us and I think still today Jesus causes that reaction and we always have that choice do we do we act like the religious leaders at the times those who say, well well being a Christian that's a threat to my way of living that's a that's a threat to what I hold dear that's a threat to what I see as a priority I consider this to be really important or are we like the others who would say but actually, I think that I quite like to be like Jesus. I quite like to have a life like him. I quite like to have a purpose like he has. I quite like to live a life that reflects my heavenly father. And the choice is always ours. It's ours to say, yes, I choose the way of God or not. And, 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 and our, our response today is much the same. Yes, I'll choose the way of God. I, I want to be that sent person sent as an ambassador for Christ to live my life for Christ each and every day, that others might know the goodness of God because of the way in which I live and speak and move and have my being. Or to say I'm just going to do it my way. It's really interesting that um, uh, that's one of the uh, most popular songs at the crematorium at funeral services. It is an extraordinary thing. I did it my way. The, the second most popular is Imagine by John Lennon. Imagine there's no heaven. I'm thinking as they play it, and each time I do it, I think this is really quite depressing. <laughs> you know, Imagine there's no heaven. Great. Let's just be here together with no hope whatsoever. Why are we here? Great. I did it my way. Well, I wonder, if you think there's no heaven, let's get on to the side where I think God would say, I'm on your side. I want you to have my story. I want you to know what it's like to live life full of Christ. And in discovering that, you'll discover, like my friend did, who's, was a, he's HIV positive with her seven children. Mark, it put hope back in my life. The invitation is there for us. Do we accept it or not?